SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. And welcome to SciShow Tangents, the frightly competitive science knowledge scream case. I'm your ghost, Hank Gang Green Green, and joining me this week, as always, is mad scientist, Scary Riley. Uh... Pumpkins. I forgot to think of something. (laughs) (laughs) Our resident every ghoul, Sam Skulls. Uh, hello. Guys, I'm curious what your Halloween decoration situation is, because I'm feeling really below average oh. and i need i need help this is a sam question entirely all i have <laughs> <laughs> my grandparents sent me a card that was doubled as a halloween decoration it was like oh. a circle haunted house with like little bats suspended beneath it and so we hung that on our door but we live in a just, locked building wow. and are definitely uh. not going to get trick-or-treaters so <laughs> <Yeah>. that's it <laughs> Uh, yeah, as a, as a homeowner, this is my second Halloween. And so Mm. we've been really like leaning into it. We have a projector with like bats against our wall. We have lights strung up. We have like bones in the yard. 
when I was a kid or in like a teen, I wanted to have like a spooky, really actually spooky house and scare people right, who are walking right. up to it. Mm-hmm. It's way easier to just have a cute, nice house with fun lights everywhere. Yeah. But Missoula also doesn't have like a really prolific trick-or-treating scene. Except in like it the, really doesn't. Like I don't know if this is like that are if this is like a relic of when it used to be colder. Because now it's not even that cold. <laughs> That's true. Kids we don't need to wear we've... coats over their costumes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like things. Something's making the the, the planet warmer. Is what it feels like. <laughs> But yeah, we really like. I can expect like three trick or treaters a year. Yeah, that's about the which same kind of bumps me out. It's a waste. I look when I see people walk by my house. I look out the window, and when they don't yeah. look at my decorations, I'm just like, "What is wrong with you? you at least look over." Here, I need I you to enjoy this. <laughs> I didn't do this for my own enjoyment. I can't even. See I did it. this for you. I'm inside the house. <laughs> I, I can't even see it. Yeah, there is something very sad and not exciting about buying a bunch of candy for trick-or-treaters and then being left with a big bowl of it. Like, yes, you get to eat it, but it's sad because you didn't get to see the children's joy in giving them the good candy. You can eat candy whenever you want to now. Yeah, you're an adult. I can just go and buy candy. But for them, it's special. And I wanted to be the cool adult with the fun house and the big Uh candy bars. the big candy bars. Can't, but they don't they don't care. They don't come. No one cares. Yeah. They're too busy playing Fortnite. <laughs> They're trick-or-treating in Fortnite. And by trick-or-treating, I mean shooting each other. <laughs> this doesn't, doesn't sound like the kind of constructive pro-social activity I expect children to be engaged with. <laughs> yeah, I want it like the good old days where kids alone, wandering the streets, yeah, knocking wandering. on strangers' houses, exactly. yelling yeah. at me to throw them candy. Uh-huh. All right. Well, thank you, Sam. Every week here on Tangents, we get together to try to unnerve, disgust, and horrify each other with science facts, all while trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for Gory and for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. And the other one will die. And for Uh-oh, this most what? horrible, awful, bone-chilling month, we'll be focused on some traditionally eerie topics. But also each week, we're going to collaborate on an exquisite corpse science poem. So an exquisite corpse poem is a collaborative poem where participants take turns writing the next word of a poem without being able to see the words that everyone else has written. So we're going to introduce this week's terror with our exquisite corpse science poem. Eek! Forlorn skeletons lay prone in the ground, buried ritually. Ashen vessels line a memory-haunted mausoleum. Egads are gruesome fates. The crematorium? To rot eternally? Or to sleep in soiled tombs or exhumed remains displayed? Zounds! The worn mortician embalms his subject peacefully. Abyssal gloom awaits this mournful cadaver. Yikes! In lonely crypts, decaying, Mournfully. Ah, fuck, I used mournfully twice. Well, the mummified <laughs> departed fester in their silence. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> we so, didn't get any better at exquisite corpse poems, everyone. No, so, I feel like we need to have like a meeting where we like talk for an hour about how to do a good exquisite corpse poem. The topic for this week is Graveyard Smash. Sari, what is a graveyard smash? <laughs> yes, Harry, what is it? <laughs> is it like a party in a graveyard? Is that like the context it's it used in the Monster like it. Mash? It is That's what, the, like, what I've always assumed. Yeah, the Monster Mash oh, is yeah. a graveyard smash, for instance. Right. Have you ever heard the song The Monster Mash? Is the dance the graveyard smash? No, no, or, the Monster Mash like, is the dance. This is a common misconception with the song Monster Mash. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, it's a song about a song. You can't, but you'll never hear the song Monster Mash. The Monster Mash is a dance. 
obviously. The yeah. monster gets up and starts doing the monster mash. And then when you do, once you're doing the monster mash, then it's a graveyard smash. Then it's a graveyard smash. Because the yep. is it a graveyard smash because it's a big hit in the, amongst the graveyard population and the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Last year's Halloween episode was called Monster Mash. You remember this? Yeah. So this year it's Graveyard Smash. Uh, Sari, so I feel I feel like we are t- tenuously with our fingernails gripping onto the idea of what a Graveyard Smash is. Are we going to get any closer? Well, so for, in the email that Sam sent me, this is the real key. It said, things to do with graveyards or burial or embalming related science or how... <laughs> Animals, including humans, deal with their dead. So mm-hmm. that was what Sam was thinking. And that's the vein <laughs> that my fact yeah. is in. So okay. basically, ignore the smash. The smash is a silent smash. Yeah. And just say <laughs> the episode's theme is graveyard. It's just the smash is the interestingness. It's yeah. graveyard smash. Yes, it's yeah. the festive yeah. part. Yeah, it's a little sparkle on mm. the top I of the see. graveyard. It's the jazz hands of the episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, so what did you, did you look up anything about graveyard? (laughs) (laughs) I looked up the difference between a graveyard and a cemetery because I was curious. I'd love to know that. So it it comes down to where they are. Um, So in European countries, which is where like our English language words come from generally, Mm -hmm. uh, the process of burial was very much a church thing. And so a graveyard was part of the churchyard where the graves went. Hmm. And so the church was like, ah, this is where the dead bodies go. This is the graveyard. And then when burying bodies became a a more broad thing where you didn't have to like tether the dead bodies to a church land in some Mm -hmm. way, then those became cemeteries. So So a cemetery is, is just for dead people. Yeah. No church attached. Yeah. I need to know if you looked up the word graveyard, though, or cemetery. Or what, anything. the etymology of graveyard? It's yeah. a yard where there are graves, what dude. What about cemetery? What about that <laughs> one, though? That comes from, uh, like, sleeping place oh. or or oh. dormitory or put to sleep, like those, those kind of origins. Dormitory um, means a sleeping place. Dorm. I get it. Oh, I, yeah. I never put that together either. All right. Well, I feel uh, we have over-explained what a graveyard smash is, <laughs> so it means it's time to move on to the quiz portion of our show, where I'm going to present you a graveyard smash. <laughs> if you are in Egypt and you travel 20 miles south of Cairo, you will end up at the Saqqara Necropolis, a burial complex that archaeologists have been studying to learn more about burial practices from around 600 BCE, which is considered the late period of ancient Egypt. The following are three stories of what those people have learned in studying the Saqqara Necropolis, but only one of the facts is true. Which of these stories is the true fact? Fact number one. Archaeologists discovered a nearly 20-foot-long manuscript describing a lecture on embalming held at the complex that was so popular it attracted an international audience that included students all the way from Greece. Or it could be fact number two. The archaeologists discovered that wealthier patrons were able to purchase burials that would place their coffins at lower depths, keeping them closer to the underworld. 
Or it could be fact number three. Archaeologists discovered the buried remains of funeral gardens, where among shrubs and small trees, there were also a series of miniature pyramids that acted as grave markers for the dead buried underneath. Little dead dead time garden. So is it fact number one? They discovered a manuscript uh, for a lecture that that brought students all the way from Greece. Fact number two, wealthier patrons could be buried closer to the underworld, meaning deeper into the ground. Or fact number three, creepy death gardens. This is an ancient Egyptian thing, correct? Yes, late ancient Egypt. I don't know that I guess they believed that the underworld was under them. I'm pretty sure that they they believed that there was an underworld and that it was physically underground, I think. As far as I know... And as far as we know, like they're not around for us to ask. Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe this is just me. I read a lot of books about mummies as a kid and my school library Mm -hmm. had a lot of books about mummies. I don't remember anything related to death being a factor in your funeral rites in Mm -hmm. any way as in ancient Egypt. At least according to your elementary school science. Yes. According to my (laughs) elementary school science books, like the, the, it was a lot more about like the rituals in getting you to that place. And then Mm -hmm. what was surrounding you when you were there. Right. But not like a physical, like, oh, dig this hole deeper. Uh-huh. Otherwise, dad's not going to get, find his way to the <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love the upsell idea. It's like, do you want three feet? Four feet? We can go all the way to 10 feet. Oh, <laughs> I'll tell you who got 10 feet was Joe Johnson. Do you love your dad 10 feet? Or do you only love Yeah, your dad? you know, Joe Johnson's kids loved him 10 feet. Yeah, that one just rings untrue to me also. My source also just being like the amazing cross sections book of like the Great Pyramids or whatever from my <laughs> yeah. grade school. Oh, I love those. The one about international students, like, how would they get the word out about that? They got horses. People are going around. I guess so, but ride your horse all the way to Greece and be like, I heard about this great lecture. No way. <laughs> Boring. I could see that. Humans love to point out where they think each other <laughs> are wrong and like either go to observe it like for entertainment or to like steal the idea and do better. So I can absolutely see some Greece, no shame to Greek folks, but like going and being like, ooh, is this cooler than the way we bury our dead? Or is this worse and we can feel morally superior now? Okay. And then the last one about a little garden. It sounds nice. It sounds very quaint. Like you just have a little, yeah, plant some plants near your, I feel like they wouldn't be allowed to use many pyramids. Like the pharaoh would be like, uh-uh-uh. <laughs> Those are for me. Uh, I think despite all my shade, I'm going to go with ah, the lecture. The lecture one. I think I'm going to oh, go Oh, wow. All right. Um, but I like the, the idea of an under underground garden. So I will go with that. All right. Because I want it to be true. Well, I have good news for you both, which is that you're tied at zero. Oh, no. The- <laughs> no! <laughs> that seems... I hate that. Ritual being buried deeper seems so crass and commercial. Come well, on. that's that's what they seem to have discovered. So, so you can tell the difference between a rich person or a more rich person and a less rich person in these necropolis because they, there's like a bunch of differences. There's like nicer coffins. You got a gold or silver face mask over your mm. face or like no mask at all. Your organs can be stored in nicer jars. So you can have like a clay jar for your organs or an alabaster jar for your organs. And the people who had like the nicer stuff tended to be 
Like if you had a nicer jar and you had a nicer face max, those people tended to be deeper in the ground as well. Now, I don't know if I threw you for a loop with the to be closer to the underworld. That's like a thought like but I like I don't know to to what extent that's like definitely a thing. Hmm. As for the people visiting from a long way away, there was discovered a 20 foot long manuscript that contained medical information on embalming, but it was not related to a lecture and there were not students from Greece visiting. And as for the funeral gardens, funeral gardens are a thing, but not the way that I described them in that in that guess. Hmm. They don't build little pyramids they with tiny build. people. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they use mice, actually. They enslave mm. the mice to do it. I see, I see. Yeah. People are weird about being dead, huh? People are so weird about being dead. And I, and I get it. It's a lot to... To be like, ah, you get to exist, but not for long. Yeah. Just wait. You're going to stop existing. When? We're not going to tell you. It's a lot. That's a lot of pressure, man. Next up, we're going to take a short break, and then it will be time for the Fact Off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Factor, whose ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning. Stress is stressful. I don't like it. (laughs) Life just goes and goes, and it doesn't ever stop going. There's always something else to do. And one of those things is a very important thing called eating dinner. To eat dinner, one must pick out what they want to eat and then go to the grocery store and then buy the stuff and then chop the stuff and do other things to the stuff. You have to heat the stuff and put it in water. And then afterwards, you have to take the things that you heated it in and they're gross and you have to make them clean again. Meanwhile, life is still happening that all oh, all oh, that's building up around you. Oh, this is like, terrifying. I'm so, <laughs> I never want to cook again. <laughs> You're right, Factor Ad. I don't. I don't want to have this happen. This is unacceptable. Sometimes, uh, parentheses, all the time, uh, you just don't have the time or the energy for meal planning on top of everything else going on in your life. So thankfully, Factor is here to help. Factor's two-minute meals are your secret weapon come mealtime. You can get chef-crafted meals that are better for you and better tasting than takeout delivered right to your door ready to heat and ready to eat. No prep, no mess, no sink full of dishes, no stress. We're kicking stress out the door in 2024, and I certainly hope that's true for me. <laughs> Heck yeah, Factor. Kick my stress. Right out the door. <laughs> I'm going to get a chest freezer just for these meals. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you're going to need one because they have over 35 meals to choose from, flexible ordering options, add-ons, smoothies. Factor offers all sorts of fast, simple solutions when you're too busy to cook. Banish your stress, even if it's just for like one hour while you're eating dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash tangents50 and use code tangents50 to get 50% off. That's code tangents50 at factormeals.com slash tangents50 to get 50% off. Welcome back, everybody. It is zero to zero, and it is time for the fact off, where I'm going to be presented with two science facts from each of our panelists, and then I'm going to pick which one I like the best. But in order to decide who goes first, we got a trivia question for you. Many cities burn fossil fuels and produce lots of sulfur dioxide. Then bacteria that grow on gravestones can convert that sulfur dioxide into sulfuric acid, which softens the limestone gravestones by turning them into gypsum. Studies in Massachusetts have found that these sulfur-converting microorganisms are enriched on the more polluted urban gravestones compared to less urban gravestones, but further research found that a canopy of trees can help reduce acid deposition and gravestone decay. What percent less decay was found on gravestones under a canopy of trees compared to an open sky graveyard. Get out there, Sari. Start doing some measurements. In Massachusetts? Yeah, I'll go out. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm going to say a canopy of trees can help. So percent less decay. 25% less decay. That sounds totally reasonable. Hmm. This feels like one where we'll answer and then we'll go, whoa, that's so much more than I thought. So I'm going to say 60%. Sam, you are the winner. 50% less gravestone decay under a tree canopy. Congratulations. Do you want to go first or do you want Sarah to go first? Oh, jeepers. I think maybe I'll try to go first. We'll see how that suits me. All right. So when rockets carrying spacecraft, satellites, all that kind of stuff launch, uh, they're attached to a giant booster engine that helps the craft escape Earth's gravity. But that booster does not make it to space with the spacecraft. Generally, maybe there's newer ones that do. I don't really know. I don't think so. So where does the big booster go? It's really, really big, and it seems bad to have it just fall somewhere. Uh, well, if the rocket is launched from Kennedy Space Center, for example, in Florida, the huge booster falls safely in the Atlantic Ocean, away from people, animals, buildings, trees, any smooshable things. Uh, uh -huh. It probably does smoosh some fish, but... Maybe. Yeah, fish. But probably some fish have gotten smooshed over the course of this whole process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what else are you going to do about smooshed fish? But when rockets are launched from the Baikonur Cosmodrome, a Russian uh -huh. space center in Kazakhstan. So this space center was built in 1955 and was the site of lots of really important moments in space history, like Sputnik launching, which was the first satellite, Yuri Gagarin, the first human in space, launched from there, and things still launched from there to this day, including the occasional NASA spacecraft, like NASA rinse it out and launches from there. But it's also completely landlocked and nowhere near the ocean. So when a rocket yeah. booster falls, it falls onto land between 50 and 600 miles away uh, into a remote mountainous region called Altai. So the region is basically a spaceship debris graveyard. And guess what? There it is. You can get smashed there. So residents, <laughs> there are people who live there. Not a ton, but there are people who live in this region. So residents are given a 24-hour notice to get out of the area where the debris falls. And I couldn't find any examples of people being killed by falling rocket boosters, 
I imagine it's probably happened. But uh, the debris does land on towns and a booster that was still filled with fuel even. Like a a launch went wrong and a fuel-filled one landed and exploded. And it broke windows in a 60-mile radius. Uh, But there's also more subtle and sadder uh, side effects to these rocket launches. So the boosters that fall in the area tend to still have about 10% of their rocket fuel in them, which uh, like over the past 50 years has been leaching into the ground and ends up in the food that people grow and the water that they drink. So Mm -hmm. doctors in the area say that residents often suffer from headaches, high blood pressure, anemia, sore throat, and various skin diseases. And a study in the early 2000s found that children who live in this strip of land where the debris falls are twice as likely to need medical attention as children who don't live in a place where rocket stuff's falling on them all the time. Uh, and residents have even sued the Russian government for things like a guy's field of horses died and he thinks it was because they were poisoned by the, the rocket fuel uh, and destroyed property. But as far as I know, there's only been one instance where compensation was paid out in the last 50 years so they kind of are just like eh whatever uh (laughs) so the people who live in the region also strip rocket remains for valuable metals but that doesn't really seem worth it compared to living in a place where you have to leave and a rocket might fall on your head the the government's required to give you 24 hours notice so that you can leave your home but are they required to give you a new home if it gets hit by a giant rocket booster? I don't think so. Mm, I'm not really sure, like but it. I don't think doesn't, so. Doesn't seem like it. And sometimes it's our rocket booster that falls on them. So that ain't good. Ah, yeah, we should stop doing that. Yeah. That doesn't seem great. Uh, and the thing is, there's so much ocean for rocket boosters to fall into. Yeah. Russia's got lots of co- coast. Mm-hmm. They could have done that, but they didn't. And they're not like planning on changing this up anytime soon. I don't think so. I think it's been more and more common for like for people to sue them and for people yeah. to complain about it and for articles to be written about it. But I think for most of the 50 years that it's been going on, they've been, or more than 50 years it's been going on, they've been uh, not really too concerned about it. All right, Sari, what do you have for us? So when we humans are trying to deduce whether another animal is living or dead, we tend to use a lot of visual cues like, is it moving? Are there any obvious signs of injury? Or if you're getting more medical, there are things like feeling for a pulse or checking pupil responses to light. But insects don't rely on their eyes in the same way. If an ant sees another curled up ant with its feet up in the air and not moving, it won't necessarily register that. Like, oh man, Brianna's dead over there. Uh, (laughs) Instead, insects largely rely on sensing chemicals to communicate. And a big category of compounds that mean death to them are fatty acids, especially oleic acid, which builds up while the bodies decompose. In some species, like American cockroaches or solitary bees, oleic acid means go away, possibly warning them that they might die if they come close, like if the insect died of disease or a predator or like a human squishing them, something that could spread or repeat. But in others, particularly social species like some ants, honeybees, and termites, oleic acid has been shown to cause what's known as necrophoric behavior, which is a fancy way of saying tidying up dead bodies. A lot of the papers use the word undertaking to describe this, which I thought was kind of fun Mm -hmm. and and appropriate. So there are many, many research studies about social insect death, and I'm going to make some generalizations um, based on patterns that scientists have found. That being said, in termites, they often straight up eat their dead kin to recycle nutrients or else they bury the corpses with dirt or other stuff. 
And in honeybees, they often carry the dead bodies of larvae or adults right outside the hive and just dump them to keep them away from everyone else. And this behavior is stronger if they're more hygienic, as researchers say, as a species or a colony. And ants are a little more complicated, or at the very least have been tested in more situations. Part of their response to oleic acid is based on their behavior. So if they're already in the middle of chores around the nest and sense oleic acid, they're like, uh-oh, someone's dead, and then like look around for the corpse and do their undertaking. But if a lot of workers are out foraging, then anything oleic acidy gets treated more like food instead, I think. Mm -hmm. So it's like, ah, dead thing. We're like foraging for dead things. Dead thing. Love that. That's food. Yeah. Dead thing is food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in many cases, the ant undertaking involves picking up the dead body and plopping it into a graveyard slash trash pile called a midden somewhere in or around the nest. And this is where one ant researcher's experiments got kind of hilarious in a dark way. The biologist E.O. Wilson, who is still alive, by the way, was testing a lot of different chemicals to see what they meant to ants and found that oleic acid caused this necrophoric behavior. So one day, he took a drop of oleic acid and put it on a living ant. And in response, another worker smelled that it was dead, even though it was still squirming around, and picked it up and threw it in the graveyard. And even though this poor ant would struggle and try to clean itself and run back to the central parts of the nest to get back to work, someone else would always grab it and throw it back oh, in the graveyard. Guy. And <laughs> so basically... It's like an ant nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not dead yet! <laughs> yeah, so, so the, yeah, I'm not dead yet. Basically, it was stuck wearing a very convincing costume of a dead ant and couldn't take it off. Uh, for a couple hours. Oh, okay. But after after that, its self-grooming did work, and it was less stinky, and the other ants stopped thinking it was dead. But it just goes to show <laughs> like, how powerful chemical signals are. Can't you, can't you see me? <laughs> it's like, sorry, I'm we're ants. That's not, we're just doing chemo taxes here. <laughs> so I have been recently deciding on which of these facts to award the points to by how good of a TikTok I think that these facts would make. That's uh, I'm going to have to to get this across in a minute. And there's going to it's good pictures are a plus. I got to say the Baikonur Cosmodrome rocket graveyard has would have some pretty good pictures. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, but I think that there's probably some pretty good dead ant pictures that I could also use. The E.O. Wilson is a plus that he's involved. I like the story. I like the tension of the ant. I like the, the ant tension better. The frustration of being carried over and over again into a graveyard and then just walking off and being like, I'm not dead and then getting put right back on. That sounds like what we're all dealing with. Sari, I'm going to award you. And since it was a tie in the beginning to be the winner of this episode of SciShow Tangents. I hate you. Thank you. You hate me. <laughs> <laughs> I've won Halloween, Sam. <laughs> no. Well, congratulations, Sari. You did the monster facts. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's time to ask the science couch where we got some listener questions for our couch of finally owned scientific minds, our virtual couch. Uh, the, this question was from three different people, from Guy and Luck, from Sarah Heidman, and from Mama Sarah One. So two different Sarahs. What is the greenest burial method? And also the Rileyest and the Schultzest burial method. Uh, for a long time, I wanted to be uh, turned into ashes that, that could then be scattered around. Uh, but at this point, I'm starting to get behind the idea of having a grave marker. And I don't, and I think it's just, it's pure ego. It's like, I feel <laughs> like if somebody like, look, maybe somebody will care about me after I'm dead and they'll want to go to stand in a place. 
We're going to uh, put you in that's... a glass coffin like linen, put you in the great hall. <laughs> I don't like that, but I would like a, I would, if possible, like a little garden with some pyramids. Oh, okay. Okay. I'll get the mice right on and start training them now. <laughs> I feel, I feel like there are now some things where you can like hire someone you to like in some places, hire someone to bury you naturally in a forest, mm-hmm. which does seem like the thing to do. Sari, do you have any idea what the uh, most environmentally friendly burial method might be? I think it's it's basically what you were talking about. The less you do to a human body, yeah. we're all full of good nutrients and mm-hmm. there's already decomposers out there. So if you can just like facilitate that process happening and use as little energy as you can in that process. Right. So that's where modern burial methods get a little tricky because if like so much effort goes into keeping the body from decomposing so that everyone can get like one last look at the mm. dead person. Mm. So embalming chemicals prevent like formaldehyde prevent decay and they like prevent decay even as you're in the ground um, and can be carcinogenic and other like toxic to other living things. Or these fancy caskets are made of materials that yeah, don't decay so or are put in like concrete uh, yeah. things so the ground doesn't sink down. And all of those things limit the speed of decay and also, like, increase how much junk just gets, like, left in the environment. It does seem very strange to build a concrete bunker under the ground to put a dead person in yeah. into does stretch my disbelief. That, yep. that is something that we do. Inside of, like, a velvet-lined casket that costs, like, yeah. a couple thousand dollars. and Yeah. And so that's, like, a way that a lot of people have done it. So, uh Certain religions practice natural burials. Uh, I think particularly Judaism and uh, Muslim folks tend to have like very simple burial methods where it's just like a a biodegradable shroud or a wicker casket and you put them into the ground pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And so just like the more people that are comfortable with natural burials, the more eco-friendly. And then one thing that gets painted as eco-friendly is the idea of like scattering ashes. Uh, and and cremation. I think mm-hmm. there's something inherently like we think bodies are gross. Right. So get rid of that. Yeah. We've got to incinerate it. But yeah. So I guess it's hard to compare factors like what is the environmental impact of a giant concrete box versus a very hot fire. So it's a fire that's around 800 degrees Celsius or 1472 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. And that's got to be ma- like natural gas, right? Yeah, natural yeah. gas. And uh, you burn everything in the body. So, like, anything plastic or anything metal that's part of it, like, the goal is to reduce it all to ash. So, there are often, like, mercury teeth fillings. Like, that mercury then gets released into the atmosphere as well, which is something to consider. Yeah, don't do that. Um, but there is an alternative to that that is greener. It still uses energy because there's still heat involved and chemicals involved but it's called alkaline hydrolysis or water cremation that water cremation is a very lovely term for what this is <laughs> it's cool so you take the body and you put it in a, in a tub uh-huh. uh, and a solution of like 90 percent ish plus water and five percent ish sodium hydroxide or potassium hydroxide aka lye mm-hmm. which is just like a very basic substance and it just dissolves you Dissolves you right up into goo, yep. just liquid goo, mm-hmm. and it leaves behind anything that wasn't 
flesh. So like there are these bleached bone fragments that can then be pulverized and like given to the family as though they were ashes. But also it leaves like teeth with mercury inside of them that don't get burned up or pacemakers. And so people are recycling like the electronics from it. Mm. And like uh, you can like reuse those devices in, in like a safe way. Then the the goop water that contains all your dissolved up body is just basic organic chemicals at that point because it's just all broken down. So it gets treated to change the pH a little bit. Yeah, because it's got super high pH. So you have to, you don't want to dump that. You know, because if it can dissolve a human body, you don't want to touch it is one of the things (laughs) I've learned. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it also, I guess, asterisk, it can dissolve a human body, but they also heat it up Uh. pretty hot. They heat it up uh, around 150 degrees Celsius or 302 degrees Fahrenheit, mm. so like much less hot than right. uh, cream fire cremation, and they agitate it and stuff. So I think it would take you a <laughs> while if you just like dunked your hand in to dissolve, mm-hmm. and they like really accelerate it in a lot of different yeah, ways I've, by putting I've, energy I've, into the system. I've gotten sodium hydroxide on my hand before. I know what I know what it's like. Yeah, burny and bad. <laughs> yeah, it hurts. It's a, it's a burn. But yeah, and so that's like uh, that water doesn't go straight into the atmosphere, but it's like it can be treated in wastewater plants because right. it's like way cleaner than poop. So water cremation, that is a way. But but you're saying that a lot of people have already figured this out and just burying a body is probably pretty good. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that might be what I go for. Sarah, what do you want to have happen to you? Uh, I feel like... Probably either one of those things. Whatever is least expensive. Water cremation sounds a little cool, though, because then they can make, like, a rock out of my powdered bone or something, uh, put it in cool. their yard. That's pretty yeah. cool. You don't get, like, a like a cup that's like, here's the remains. It's- <laughs> 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 pour, pour, pour them out wherever, wherever he wants to be. <laughs> His favorite place. All of my relatives God. must drink a small part of me. <laughs> <and drink. laughs> Take one shot of my liquid. No, that's body. way too much. Uh, <laughs> Sam, how would you like to die? I think uh, not. How would I like to die? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> how would you like to be buried? <laughs> I think I'd like to be thrown in a field so like animals could eat me or something. Is that possible? Wow. Or like one of those body farms where they like stab mm-hmm. you or whatever, and then they're like, "This is what it looks like when someone's stabbed." I yeah, don't know. and then six months later. Yeah, that makes me want to take back mine, which is I, I want to get stuck in a glacier so that I can be found in 10,000 years. That's a really be fun like, one. <laughs> what, how, cool. Like, this guy's wild. It seems like from, from what we can tell of our reconstruction of his neural anatomy, he was a early 21st century video blogger. <laughs> if you want to ask the Science Couch your questions, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. That's at SciShowTangents. Thanks to at Dreams Can Live at that Mark Meyer and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's easy to do that. You can go to patreon.com slash SciShowTangents, which is a place where you can become a patron. That means you're going to give us a little bit of money and you're going to get access to exclusive content to great stuff like our patron-only podcasts of Poopy Peepeepedia and Q and Bidet. And we're doing like a spooky pee episode this month, is what Sam told me. Yes. I got a hot tip also. 
But there will uh-huh. be a new tangent sticker on DFTBA.com, the SciShow store, on November 1st. So okay. look out for that, too. Look out for that as well. Also, if you want to help us out, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. I love reading them, and there's so many good reviews, and it helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow tangents, just tell people, people about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes along with the horrible Hiroko Matsushima. Our scary social media organizer is Paola Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistants are Deboki Chakravarti, Emma Douster, and Alex Billow. Our sound design is by Joseph Boonamedish, and we couldn't make any of this without our putrid patrons on Patreon. Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a coffin to be filled, but a jack-o'-lantern to be lighted. But one more thing. <laughs> Decomposing bodies provide tons of nutrients to the ground around them. This can be great for plants that soak up the extra resources to increase their growth. But that's not the only way that dead bodies help plants out. Death also attracts the scavengers. So when researchers from the University of Southeastern Norway studied the area surrounding reindeer carcasses, they found a clustering of bird and fox poop with viable crowberry seeds in it. So it turns out that plants take advantage of scavengers' attraction to dead bodies to be closer to those sweet post-mortem nutrients. Wow. So there's a bunch of, like, crowberry bushes growing right now that used to be dead reindeer. Mm Mm-hmm. They call it something fun. A corpse island or something like that. (gasps) A corpse island! (laughs) That's a corpse garden, please. (laughs) Corpse? If it's not called a corpse garden then it should be called a corpse garden because I'm, I'm loving that. And also, I can't wait for all of the metal bands. Yeah. That's... Hank, you should start a metal band. I probably write a pretty good metal song, but it feels kind of contrary to my brand at this point. That's true. Is there a thing called goof metal? Because I think I could do goof metal. Here's my new goof metal band, Corpse Island. Oh, goof metal. I thought you said goose metal. No, I thought you said goose metal too. I was like, what does that have to do? Chicka chicka honk, chicka chicka honk, chicka chicka honk. It's like that would be on brand for you for sure. 